1: Hello and welcome to Upward Way. I am your host, Marlon Walters. My guest today is the pastor of the Bundura Seventh-day Adventist Church and the host of Lead Your Life podcast, Pastor Vikram Panchal. Welcome to Upward Way.
0: Hey Marlon, thanks so much for having me on. I'm looking forward to our recording today.
1: And I'm also looking forward to a very interesting story. I must say thanks because I know you are pretty busy for taking the time out to share your story with us. I'm going to start with where you are currently, serving as the pastor of the Bundura Seventh Day Adventist Church. I understand it's a church plan, so could you just share a little as to how things got started there and what is the role you are playing currently?
0: Yeah, sure. So Marlon, just like you said, I am uh, the pastor of this church, uh, but it's very exciting for me because uh, I'm sure we'll go into it a little bit later uh, about how I firstly became a Christian and why I'm now serving as a pastor. It's a long journey, a long story, but uh, I've been pastoring now for 10 years uh, within this current church plant. Uh, It's been about three years now, but it's been an amazing, very, very exciting journey to see how God has been leading and uh, yeah, so happy that I could share a little bit of the experience there. Uh, this could take probably the entire recording um, just to, to really demonstrate how many miracles we've witnessed in uh, launching out into the deep, so to speak, uh, to step out of our comfort zones and to go into planting a new church. So I was uh, after I was baptized and after I graduated from theology in 2012, I got called to become a pastor. As an intern, just beginning here in Melbourne, Australia, uh, in our conference here. And uh, it's very exciting for me. I served as a pastor within the heart of Melbourne City, for about four and a half years. But during that time, I could see God was moving very powerfully uh, within the church that we were at. It went through a number of transitions. Uh, Initially, when me and my wife arrived, we could really see that God was moving in a powerful way. And so I was really asking myself, God, what what do you have in store for me? You know, going forward, uh, as we saw new leaders uh, rising up, I could sense it was an opportunity for me to now equip these leaders which uh, we had been training up over time. I really brought this before God in prayer for about a year and I remember one day just waking up in the morning and I'm summarizing things here but I remember hearing very distinctly a a very loud cry for help and it was coming from the north uh, of our state and uh, I immediately told my wife and she knew I was praying about the matter. And so I took her on our day off and she thought I'd lost my mind. She thought I was wondering, well, what on earth are you doing? And so I said, you know, we've been praying about God's future plan for us. And uh, so I took her up to the north and there was a secular university back there. And uh, I took her for a walk on the campus. And the moment is very strange, but the moment I started walking on the campus, I almost felt I could hear God's voice telling me, He was going to do something there. And so that basically began the journey uh, that would eventually lead us to planting the church. And um, the reason why we chose to plant a church in the north is because it's a largely unentered territory for the Seventh-day Adventist church. And not only that, there was a large secular campus with no no organized Adventist presence there. And so my dream was to start a Seventh-day Adventist student club, the very first one in history. And uh, from there to be able to launch a church. And uh, God has just worked miracle after miracle to see a student club started there, campus ministry based. And uh, from there, we were then able to go ahead and launch uh, a church. And uh, my wife and myself, we knew nobody. But now three years later, we're very thankful. We've had, we've had about just over 10 baptisms now, in spite of COVID. Two of those years have been in COVID. And uh, it's just been a miracle to see how God has been leading. And uh, we have about 50, 55 people coming along to church, a number of which are non-Adventists. So there's so much more I could share with you about planting a church, but uh, just launching out into deep, trusting that God will take the lead. And he's done so much more. I could, like I said, this whole recording could just be on the miracles we've witnessed to show God's leading in planting a church. But it's been a beautiful experience. You know, this
1: idea of church planting is something that I I find pretty fascinating and exciting. And you have mentioned how exciting it has been, but I would want you to comment briefly, maybe on one or two of the, let's say the biggest challenge you would have faced as you started with this particular project. And you could also share two, maybe one of the biggest miracles at the beginning. So maybe challenges first, and then let's say a breakthrough miracle.
0: Yeah, sure. So um, yeah, where do I begin? Um, You know, one of the biggest challenges we faced was when we were contemplating, and this was just in my mind, uh, because like I said, we weren't working with a team. We didn't know anybody at all, except for one girl who was a Seventh-day Adventist, who we knew previously. And uh, I knew that she was just starting her undergraduate degree at that university. It's called La Trobe University. Um, It's a large university here in Melbourne. And so the moment I I heard, and by the way, from that time when I had that, you know, uh, premonition, or when I heard God's calling to do something at that university, it had been a year until we met this girl who was just starting, and so I'd almost given up hope about anything happening. I thought maybe I'd heard God wrong. I thought maybe, maybe this was not God's plan after all. But the moment I heard that she was starting at this university, I just turned around and I said. I need to talk to you. And I said, we need to do something there on this campus. And she was all in for the challenge. She probably didn't know how crazy I was and you know what we were actually thinking. But I'm so thankful that God opened the door. So is was my wife, her, and myself. So I decided, or we decided, that we were going to run a health program. And I would do three talks called Optimize Your Brain. It's related to enhancing emotional intelligence. And so this was a fascination for me, for my background and the journey God had led me on. So I wanted to equip and teach other students about all the wonderful things I'd learned through the church and through my own readings. And so we decided to run a health program by faith. And uh, because I'd had previous experience in campus ministry, um, working in my previous church, uh, we always put the university logo in all of our flyers to show that it was connected to the university. But One of the things we did not know was in this new university at La Trobe University, they did not want their logo to be put on anything unless it was officially uh, signed off on by the university. And that was only on La Trobe University events. It wasn't for student club events. That was all kind of considered separate. And because we didn't even have a student club, we were just an independent group from outside coming in. Uh, there's a lot that we were not aware of. And so I decided to invite some of the teachers, you know, I just wanted to get the word out there. And so I invited someone from the well-being office and we designed the flyer. I sent it to the printer and suddenly he sends me an email saying, Vikram, this program looks really, really good. But he said, have you run this through the university? Because he said, you've got the Latrobe university logo on it. And I said, "Uh, you know what? I haven't. And he said, you better check because they're very strict about their policies. Um, they may not let you run this program. And we'd already booked the venue. Uh, I just sent the flyers for printing. And so I immediately called the printer and I said, have you printed the flyers? And he said, yeah, it's just coming out of the print right now. And I was thinking, oh no, what are we going to do right now? And it wasn't like a large number of flyers. I'd only printed 300, but because it was my wife and my initiative, I put my own money into it and I thought what are we going to do now because to redesign the flyer and to get it printed again it's going to take a really long time and the program was starting in literally three days and I knew we couldn't reprint it and so we decided that we have to stick with these flyers but when I called the university they said that you're not allowed you know the marketing and branding uh, division said you're not allowed to do this you've got the logo sorry it's not it's a no-go And so I was thinking, what on earth are we going to do now? Time is ticking away, and we need to get the word out there about this program that we're planning to run. And so I remember my wife, uh, this other girl, myself, we just got down on our knees, and we just began to pray. And so once we finished prayer, I just felt God impressing me to call the university again. And I called them, and this time it was another guy who picked up. And I just told him that, hey, you know, if we don't uh, say that this is a program that's affiliated with the university, we're an independent group or outcoming from outside, and uh, we're just running this health program, would you be okay if we put that disclaimer there for anyone who comes? And he thought about it for a second and he said, if you say that, then okay, you can hand the flyers out. And I was thinking, wow, I can't believe he's given us permission. And the moment I you know, hung up the phone. My wife said, don't make any more calls. Let's just go and hand out the flyers. And it was a cold winter's day. The sun sets very early, about 5.30 PM. So we had very limited time. It was about 4 PM by that time, the sun was starting to set. And so we had an hour and me, this girl, my wife, we just went everywhere around the university, just handing out flyers to all the students. And we didn't know what was going to happen. And so 300 flyers went out, which by the way, it's not a lot. If you want to invite people, you need to hand out several thousand if you want to get even a few coming. So 300 was a very small amount, but that's all we had time for. And the very next day, I was just um, you know, uh, preparing the talks. But on that same day, we were putting out posters around the campus as well. We had 10, 10, 15 posters uh, to advertise the program. And uh, the program was supposed to be held in the law building. And so the final poster we put up was in the law building. We'd handed out 300 flyers, put up all the posters. Final poster was in the venue where we were going to have the talks. And so I arrived there. I was so happy. Job is done. We can now go home. Put up the flyer and suddenly a student walks past and he says, oh, that looks really interesting. And he got talking to me about it, wanted to find out more. And when I told him everything about what we were running, he said, oh, you can't run this here. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, oh, the law building is out of bounds. He said, uh, the law school does not allow any student club unless it's the law school society uh, running their own events. You cannot come in here and use our venue. And I was thinking, are you for real? But the university has given us permission. He said, there's been some miscommunication. There's been a new policy and you can't use this venue. And he said, if you... You know, if you want further advice, you can speak to the manager of the law building in the bookings office and he will tell you. So I called him immediately and he told me, yes, you cannot use it. It's banned from public use. It's only for our use. And so I thought, what are we going to do now? 300 flyers have gone out. We've told people where the venue is. We've put 15 posters up on campus. And now you're telling me we can't use this venue. And so I was in a bit of a shock and I didn't know what to do. And so uh, the very next day, I was still preparing the presentations by faith, but at the same time, I was getting very anxious. And by 4 p.m., I called the university venue management office and I said, hey, we're in a bit of a pickle here. Um, Are you able to help us? And I explained the situation and she said, oh, sorry, we didn't know about all this changes. It hasn't been communicated to us. And so she quickly looked on her database and she said, all right, she said, I've got some good news and some bad news. I said, okay, what's the good news? good news is I found a venue for you. I said, fantastic. And she said, the bad news is that every single week it's going to be in a totally different place. And I was thinking, this is not how you run a program because you're going to lose people. You know, every single week, if it's in a different place, who's going to find this program? I said, Oh, this is sounding really bad. And so I said, okay, if you can't find anything else, I'll take whatever you have for us. And so every single week, we were in a totally different part of the campus and You know, it just took a lot of faith to make this program run. And anyways, uh, the very next morning, I was still frantically finalizing the presentation. My wife was driving the car to the university. I was still on my laptop when this girl we were working with, she suddenly calls me and she says, Vikram, do you have some time? I said, yeah. She says, I just got an important call, but I don't know how to answer them. So I told them to call you. I said, why, what's it about? She said, I can't tell you, you know, you better speak to them. And then she hangs up and I said, what is this about? Moments later, I get a phone call from the university. It's a law school professor. And she tells me, I saw your program called Optimize Your Brain. And she says, I know what you guys are all about. You just want to evangelize this campus, don't you? You're just here to talk about Jesus. And I said, oh, uh, I said, I'm not sure where you're coming from. I said, yes, we are a Christian group. But our genuine interest is to help students, whether they are interested in Christianity or not, you know, that's not the main objective. We are genuinely interested in helping people with their emotional intelligence. And she said that, oh, I don't believe any of this. And she was very, very upset over the phone. And I can't replicate her tone of voice right now on the podcast, but let's say she was very, very upset. And she was telling me that she's going to set up a security guard outside the venue to make sure that we are not given access at all. And I was thinking, wow. And then she said, not only that, I'm going to sue you for putting the university logo on the flyer you've been handing out. And I was thinking, oh boy, what are we going to do now? And uh, I said, well, uh, I said, you know, sorry, lady, i um, I just need to give you some updates. And I had to cut her off because, you know, I didn't want to be rude. But when she finished speaking and everything, you know, I just toned it down a little bit. I said, oh, uh, you know, I understand, but we've been given permission now by the university to hand out the flyers. And I'm so glad we did everything honestly, because otherwise we would have been in deep trouble. Um, But because the university gave us permission to hand out the flyers, we did. And so I knew we were in the all clear And also because we changed the venue now, which she did not know about, I was also able to tell her we don't, we won't be using the venue anymore. And so, you know, she was obviously very infuriated. And when I told her all these things, she just, she was so upset. She just hung up the phone on me. And I was obviously, you know, out of breath. I was getting, my heart was racing. I didn't know what to expect. And so we arrived at the university and immediately we ran to the new venue where we were delivering the talk. And I remember my wife saying, I don't know if anyone's going to come for this presentation. And I didn't know what to think. And so I just went into a little closet. I was so nervous. My wife didn't know where I was. And I just got down on my knees and I just prayed. I said, God, I know that you have opened this door for us to reach this university. I said, look at all these students. Who's going to reach them if you know this is the first time A program has been run by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I said, Lord, please, for the sake of your name, do not let this be a failure. The moment I got up off my knees, my wife came running and she said, she said, you've got to come inside the room. I said, why, what happened? She said, actually, people have turned up. I said, what? I said, how did they even find this venue? Because all the flyers are telling them to go to the law school. Well, what happened was that we had a couple of people coming to support us. One of the guys just took a flyer in his hands and was just walking around the campus randomly You know, so afraid, and he was just holding up the campus in front of his uh, front of his body. And few people actually saw the flyer, and they said, "Oh, I thought this was in the law school." And he said, "No, no, no, it's been redirected to this place." And by the way, there's thousands of students on the campus. For them to even see this miniature flyer, um, which someone was holding up in front of their body, it's a near impossibility. So God was obviously directing these people, you know, to Him. He redirected them to the new venue. And then when uh, he and uh, this other girl who was helping us, um, they went to the law school and were standing beside the security guard. And uh, the security guard was indeed there, and uh, he was frowning at them, wondering what on earth they were doing. But they had the courage and the boldness to stand beside him. And for the students who came there, they said, no, no, it's not over here. It's in a different venue. And so, you know, praise God, you know, for faithful people. And as a result, we had a handful, maybe 6 or 7, eight people who came for that first talk. And the same people came back for the second week in the new ve- in the next venue, and on the third week for the third venue. And then another church in the north caught wind of what we were doing there. And they knew some Adventist uh, students who were on the university whom I'd never met before. And uh, they came along for the final seminar and they just loved it. And so I had a chance to share with them about what God was placing on my heart about starting the first Seventh-day Adventist student club there. And they were running late for their class, but they said, no, no, we want to hear the whole story. And they stayed back. And through that experience, we were able to launch our first Seventh-day Adventist student club. There's a lot of challenges, um, but God opened the door. And uh, even though we had the first... Adventist student club there. We faced other challenges from other Christian student clubs who were there. They were very nice people, but maybe, you know, misinformed about the Seventh-day Adventist church. So there is a few hiccups there, but uh, God put a man in place to oversee all the chaplains, all the Christian and Muslim and Hindu Buddhist chaplains. That man happened to be a Seventh-day Adventist. And God connected us together in a very miraculous way. And when he found out I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, having a Seventh-day Adventist student club, um, he said, we got to talk. And he said, I want a Seventh-day Adventist chaplain. He says, can you be that person? And I said, "I said, yeah, why not? And so it took about a year um, and I'd almost given up hope about that. But now looking back, it was God's perfect timing because of other challenges we were going to face later on. God had to put that all under rest. And just in his perfect timing, he opened the door for me to become the first Seventh day Adventist chaplain on the university. And that gave us a good groundhold and a good footing and a good avenue for me to meet the other chaplains and for them to meet us face to face. And for them to realize, you know, what we're just normal people just like them. So it broke down a lot of barriers, and it's given us an opportunity. But unfortunately, COVID took place. And so for the last two years, we haven't had much presence there. But like I said, it didn't hinder God from launching a church. And uh, we have a lot of community people coming along now. So yeah, those are some of the challenges that we face. But those challenges got turned into blessings, and the church plant was still launched. Um, And so we give God all the glory for that.
1: Indeed, we give God all the glory for that. And as I listened to you sharing that story, the text that popped in my head, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, I know it by heart from the King James Version, but reading from the New International Version, it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And verse 2, this is what the ancients were commended for. So as you just mentioned, it all started with faith and Eventually, that's blossomed into something even greater. Now, what I'm going to be doing now is what I call kind of like a flashback. Your own faith journey, not your church plan, but your own faith journey. Where and when did it begin?
0: Yeah, so um, I have to really go back to the start. I was born not here in Australia, even though my accent's very mixed up. But I was born in a large, one of the largest, if not the largest city in India uh, called Mumbai or formerly known as Bombay. It's uh, home to over 25 million people now. I lose track these days, but I've been in Australia for roughly about 23 years. So I don't look up on Wikipedia anymore and on Google to keep track of the population there. But it's definitely a very large city. They say, you know, to live there any given day is like smoking 20 cigarettes a day. So it's a pretty polluted uh, city. But whoever comes from Mumbai uh, is a very, very proud Mumbaiite or what we would formally call a Bombayite. And so that's also the home for Bollywood, a very large movie industry. And so uh, celebrities are almost treated like gods uh, all around India, but especially in that city because a lot of them live there. So it's a real, really a city of contrasts, uh, the extreme wealthy, some of the richest people in the world, to the very, very poor people whom most Indians would call the untouchables. And so you've got this stark contrast. And India, and especially that city, you see that it's a real land of contrast. It's a real city of contrast. And so I, I was uh, thankful to be born. My My parents did not come from a wealthy family, but you know, God had blessed my father with uh, business acumen. And so he was able to move to one of the richest parts of Mumbai just before we were born. And so from the time I was born, I did not experience the challenges my parents faced when they were growing up. All I knew was that I was born into, you know, into a, into a place of wealth where my dad's business was really taking off and he was doing extremely well. And uh, he was traveling all over India for his work. He was an incredibly busy man, but at the same time, we had everything we ever desired and more. So it was a life of abundance for the first seven years of my life. A Beautiful experience. We had family, close to us cousins that we loved. And so we we had a real close connection with them. However, by the age of seven, challenges start to take place within my parents' marriage. And uh, with great success, also came great challenges in the home as well. And a lot of those things I was not aware of, I was just about six, seven years old at that time. and uh, But obviously things were happening in the background and with my dad's success in his business, it also caught the attention of the underworld, the Indian mafia in the city. And so they were notorious for raiding people's offices and stealing their money and all those things. And my dad's office got raided by the mafia on one occasion. And uh, we also had a very difficult experience where one of our car drivers, I believe from memory now I need to verify this, but I know that someone who was a close associate of my father got stabbed in the midst of everything that was happening. So my dad was obviously getting very nervous about not just his marriage with my mom that was breaking apart, but also on the business side, things were getting very unsafe. So immediately my dad got into action and he realized we could not stay in that city anymore he was starting to look for a boarding school to send my brother and myself to. So he was looking all over India to look at some of the best boarding schools to send us to, but nothing really gelled with him. Um, There was a lack of discipline, there was alcohol, drugs, and all those sorts of things, and my dad didn't want us to be exposed to all that. And so he was very discouraged, he was just coming back home after one of his trips when one of his colleagues told him that, hey, have you checked out the school? He said, my kids are are going there. And so my dad went to the school. And by the way, it's very, very far from the city where we lived in a small hill station, very beautiful place um, in the South of India. So my dad said, let me go check it out. And he did, and he fell in love with it. It was run by Christian missionaries. It was an international school. And uh, it was very good discipline, no alcohol, no drugs, And uh, every single Sunday, we had to go to church. Not that my dad was interested in that because we were a Hindu family, Um, cultural Hindus, not specifically religious, but it wasn't our religion. But my dad loved the values, um, very similar to what he believed in. And so uh, it was a miracle. They did not usually take business kids, the kids of business families, especially who are non-Christian into the school but god really opened the door for my brother and i to go there and so that was the first experience of christianity for me and being immersed in a christian environment especially run by christian missionaries they'd given up a life of luxury and ease maybe in their home countries especially from england and they had come to serve within india and it was it was amazing because they left a real legacy in my life and uh You know, if it wasn't for their self-sacrificial spirit and their real love for the children there, including myself, because they knew I was not a Christian, um, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. So I really give, you know, really give uh, my entire background and my learning experience, give a lot of thanks to God for sending me providentially to that school. And I always knew when I gave my life to Jesus at the age of seven, I knew he had a call for my life. I just didn't know what it looked like. And um, so by the time I was 16, my dad said, it's time to pack up your bags. I'm going to send you to Australia now. At that time, my dad was remarried. My stepmom, uh, her family lived in Australia. And so she recommended it to my dad and he decided to send us here. And so I was about 16 years old when I came to Australia and growing up under my brother's shadow, everyone loved and respected him so much. I was on the other hand, a bit of the naughty kid in the house. And so I always wanted a little bit of separation from my brother. And so I got that and I moved into one of the residential colleges at university and uh, they were into drinking and all this stuff. And because I grew up in a very conservative atmosphere in my Christian boarding school, you know, like alcohol, all that sort of stuff was very foreign to me. But, you know, with all these other kids, university kids, you know, we started drinking and all this stuff and it was more social drinking for me, but nevertheless, there came a point of time one night uh, when I actually got drunk um, unknowingly because I had no idea what what was even going on. And the very next day I felt so guilty. You know, I called my brother and I said, you know, I've done something terrible. And he said, so have I. And he never shared with me what happened to him. I'd only discover years later, but I told him what I did. And he tried to pacify me And I confessed, you know, I said, God, I'm so sorry for what I've done. But even though I confessed, because I was in that atmosphere, before he knew it, I was getting into the party scene, I was getting into alcohol again. And one night I just put my fist up to the skies and I told God, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. So I'm not going to read my Bible for a year. I'm not going to pray to you anymore. I'm going to believe you don't exist. And so God was a gentleman. He honored my prayer. And God truly, I believe, stepped out of my life, at least from what I could see. But that year was the most miserable year of my life. Because all these years, I always felt God's presence very close to me, ever since I gave my life to him at the age of seven. And suddenly, I felt this vacuum in my life. And a year later, and uh, I felt like I was just empty. But God, while I had forgotten about God, um, God had not forgotten that I told him to give me a break for one year. And so one year later, God turned up again in a way I did not expect. One night I was heading home from university. It was late at night, and I was living. I'd moved out of the residential college, so I wasn't around those friends anymore. I stopped drinking and all that stuff. And I was now living with my brother in the suburbs. And so I needed to catch the train home. And uh, suddenly I saw on the TV screen that my train was arriving in a minute. So I ran down the escalators, didn't want to miss it. And uh, I was out of breath. I saw the doors closing. I just managed to jump in on time. And I was thinking, wow, I'm so glad I didn't miss the the train. And I just got a seat and I was just uh, catching my breath when a boy, a few years older than me, just walked across the carriage and just sat directly opposite me struck up a conversation with me just about random stuff. And so I was thinking, I don't know who he is, but he's friendly, so I just got talking to him as well. And then halfway through the journey, I said I, you know, I said I hope you don't mind me asking because there's a lot of people on this carriage, you know, what made you come and start talking to me? And the answer he gave me just shocked me because he said, "Oh, the Holy Spirit prompted me to come talk to you." And I said, "Holy Spirit?" Well, I knew about the Holy Spirit, because of the Christian school I grew up in, and I didn't know much about him at all. My knowledge was very superficial about Christianity and the Bible. And so I was thinking, oh, Holy Spirit. I was like, oh, what is this? And so anyways, my stop came, and I said, oh, it's nice meeting you. This is my stop. And he said, oh, he said, I live here as well. And so we both alighted from the train, and I noticed that there's a much older gentleman walking beside us as well. And I was thinking, oh, you know, who's this person? Turned out it was the adopted father. And so we were parting ways at the train station. I said, oh, you know, by the way, um, nice meeting you. I'm going to be heading off. And so the older man said, oh, Vikram, why don't you give me a phone number? I'd love to stay in touch with you. Come over to my house for a nice vegetarian meal. I'll cook you something. I was thinking, oh, who is this person? And I thought, okay, you know, my mom always taught me not to, you know, trust strangers. So I gave him my phone number, but I just changed the last three digits. And so I walked away laughing, thinking, oh, well, fools, you know, I'm never going to see them again for the rest of my life. And so I thought I pulled a quick one on them. But two weeks later, I was heading back to the train to go to university when suddenly from the corner of my eye, I could see that boy crossing the road right towards the train station. I start to panic and somehow the ticket was jammed in the machine and I was getting very frustrated. So I start to whack the machine, hoping the ticket comes out faster but it was jammed. It wasn't coming out and it gave that boy enough time to cross the road. And he was waving to me frantically all that time. And I was pretending not to see him, but he caught up with me. And uh, as soon as he caught up, the ticket came out and I knew I couldn't run anywhere. And so he's, he came up to me. He was so excited. He said, Hey Vikram, I've been trying to call you. He said, but I haven't been able to reach, reach you. And then he gave me the biggest smile. And he said, uh, this time, do you think you could give me the right number? And so obviously I blushed because he figured out that, you know, I'd made the whole thing up and I'd given them the wrong number. And so I started laughing and I gave him the right number and we became good friends. We stopped playing tennis together. Um, but his adopted father is the one who made the biggest difference in my life because, um, he had recently returned to the seventh day Adventist church after leaving for many years. Uh, at this time he had invited me to church and, uh, he also invited me to his house for that vegetarian meal, and so I went over to his house, and he told me a few things that really upset me a lot. Uh, he made three predictions about my future. One is, he said that uh, Vikram, you're going to get baptized as a Seventh Day Adventist, and I was thinking, no, I'm not. And then he said, not only that, uh, he said, you know, you're going to go and teach people and share with them about your testimony of how god has led you throughout your life and then the third thing he told me was that he said i can see very clearly that uh, you're going to do this full time for the rest of your life and i was thinking okay thank you for telling me now that you told me i'm going to make sure i do the exact opposite because in my mind i had my pathway set up very clearly for me i was doing business commerce And I wanted to be a businessman. I was very ambitious for my life. And I had very clear goals, uh, very clear objectives of what I wanted to do when I graduated. And I said, your plan does not fit with my plan. And so when he told me about the Sabbath and all these things, I was thinking, this is not sounding good. But, you know, he was trying to share with me proudly about all the great things about the church. Now, here in Australia, um, the Seventh-day Adventist Church owns a very, very popular Breakfast cereal company called Sanitarium. And it's uh known by everybody. Not everyone knows it's owned by a Christian organization, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. They just think it's just any other company. And so did I. And so the clincher, you know, to, to let me know just how amazing this church was, he told me, Oh, have you heard about Sanitarium, the breakfast company? I said, Yeah. I said, Yeah, I eat it every day. And he said, Oh, he said, Did you know that's owned by the Seventh-day Adventist Church? I said, Are you for real? And the moment he said that, he thought he's got me. You know, he thought that, wow, how can anyone deny, you know, that we own this, you know, a cereal company? You know, Vikram's going to be really shocked and really amazed by this. Well, the moment he said that, actually, I became very afraid because in the Christian school I grew up in, some of the kids told me, hey, Vikram, there's a church that owns a breakfast cereal company. And they said, whatever you do, never go to that church because it's a cult. And so when he told me about the Sabbath and very proudly boasting to me about this church that owns a cereal company called Sanitarium, immediately red flags went up. And I said, this is the cult. This is the cult my friends were telling me about. And so I said, wow, you know, he's made all these predictions about my life. And now he wants me to join a cult. I said, never in my life. And so for four years, we lost contact because I was so infuriated with him. And uh, before years later, I graduated from university and uh, I only applied to a handful of companies and I was getting to the last round of the interviews and nothing was working out. And by the middle of the year, I didn't have a job. And uh, as my part-time job to pay my bills, I was working at a, um, at a restaurant. It was called a bottle shop. Uh, so Australian term where they sell alcoholic drinks and everything. So I was working as a waiter there. And you know that was my part-time job. And I said, I can't imagine myself stuck selling alcohol for the rest of my life because I wasn't drinking at at that time. My degree was in business. I said, I want to do something career related. And so things were getting very, very frantic. My dad was getting panicked, you know, about my employment situation. And he said, come back to India. I've got a good network here. I'll set you up with a good job. I said, no, I want to be a self-made person. I'm going to do my best to find a job for myself. So I was traveling interstate looking for work and I just came to a point where I was just ready to break down. I was going for interview after interview and you know nothing was working out and some things I was still waiting to hear back from. And I remember coming from a trip to Sydney, back to Melbourne, and it was a very long bus ride, about 16 hours. And I was just broken down and I just got to the house and I crushed down on my knees and I just started crying. I just broke down. And I asked God, I said, God, if you exist, I really need your help. And the moment I said that, God flashed an image in my mind of that Seventh-day Adventist man I'd met four years ago. And I felt I could almost hear God's voicing. If you're looking for answers, you'll find it in him. And so I got up off my knees. I was just wiping the tears of my eyes. I said, God, but I haven't spoken to this man for four years now. I don't even know where he lives. I don't have his phone number. And I felt like God was telling me, look in your old university diaries. You'll find his number there. So I immediately ran to my room. and I looked through one diary and I said, no, I don't see his number here at all. I said, maybe I misunderstood what God was telling me. And then I felt like God was telling me, look in your other diary. And I looked at my other diary the previous year and surely enough, his number was there. And so I immediately went to my phone and I called the number and he picked up. And I said, Keith, it's me, Vikram. And he was just shocked. He didn't know what to say. And then he said, Vikram? I said, yeah, Keith, it's me. Do you remember me? from 4 years ago he said vikram he said i've been praying for you every single day for the last 4 years and he said what are you doing this saturday let me bring you to church and so i was you know basically i'd made myself unemployed by that time to look for work full time so i didn't have any other plans and i wasn't busy so i couldn't make up any excuses so i said okay you know i'll come with you to church and so we went to church that day and you know the rest is history uh, you know it's a funny situation because I saw the deacons or whoever they were, you know they're passing out offering bags. And I was very suspicious because I said offerings bags, and I could hear tinkles of coins dropping at the bottom, I said, that's it. All they want is my money, isn't it? So I had a lot of suspicions about the church, but God began to break down all those barriers. And you know, as I saw, the people were very friendly, and I struck up a very good relationship with one of the guys in the church was very chatty. I was a little bit more reserved, a little bit more quiet. And um, we became very good friends. And through that, I started Bible studies. And four months later, I was baptized. And uh, that night when I came home for the baptism, I felt God speaking to me again. He said, Vikram, do you remember when you gave your life to me at the age of seven? I said, yes, Lord, I do. And he said, do you remember I always had a plan for your life? I said, yes, God, I do remember. And that's when I felt God saying, well, now I'm going to show you what that plan is. And obviously, he didn't reveal everything to me overnight, but step by step, he miraculously opened the door, and I ended up doing Bible work. So by that time, I'd actually found my dream job um, in logistics that was career-related. Just before I was baptized, I found my dream job, and I was really enjoying it. But uh, after I was baptized, I remember going to work, and I remember God saying to me, you know, Vikram? What you're doing right now is not going to give you happiness. I said, God, not now. It took me like one year to find this job, and you're telling me to leave it now? I said, not now, God. It's, it's not convenient. you know. But surely enough, God started to strip that desire away. And I had this, I cannot explain it in words, but I had this real overwhelming desire. While I was at work, I was just uh, listening to uh, the story about how the Seventh-day Adventist Church began, and it's uh, written for kids. Uh, it's an audiobook book series um, called Pathway to the Pioneers. And while I was doing my work on the computer, I was busy listening to this in the background. And the fire was really burning in my heart. I said, God, I really want to do something for you. And all day long, all I could dream about was going, telling somebody about Jesus, telling him that he's coming soon. I really wanted to get out to the doors, door knock, letterbox, just do anything. And so this job that was almost like my idol, God was just stripping that desire away from me. And instead he is replacing with with this overwhelming, burning desire to share God's word with anyone I could. And he showed that to me in, in in a very real way because even though I graduated from university, within a week, I saw about five to 10 old friends from my old university. And God was saying, Vikram, if you don't tell them what you know now, who else is gonna tell them? And I felt like God was telling me, you go and share my word, share my word with them. And so, you know, that began that journey. And I just felt God was compelling me. It's almost like this force was pushing me, even against my own desires, you know, almost to to move me in this direction. You know, that's what happened. And uh, when I made that decision, I don't know if we have time for this, but another miracle that took place was uh, when I made that decision to go into full-time ministry. And I'm using full-time ministry, it's all jargon now, but. I didn't even know what all that all that meant. Um, back in those days, God, people were saying, oh, Vikram, why did not you get training to be a pastor? And I was like, pastor? I was just baptized. I don't even know what a pastor is. You know, So everything was very, very new for me. And um, the day when I made that decision to go into full-time ministry, so to speak, I didn't know what that really looked like. That day when I arrived at work, um, there was a big project we'd worked on. It was about a a multi-million-dollar project with one of the large, uh, supermarkets, uh, chain stores, Australia wide, it operates. And so within, I believe Australia wide, if not at least in our state, the logistics company I was working on was the, was the one that delivered all the products to every single supermarket in, in our state. And so it was a pretty big deal. And so we had a big interview with that client with some of the big managers and the big bosses and, uh, We'd uh, secured that deal, um, affirmed it moving forward. And I, I just started in the business. so I wasn't a key player in that decision-making, but I'd done a lot of data crunching and stuff to help present our perspective to the client, um, to the supermarket chain. And so uh, one of the colleagues I was working with um, was now working for our competitor, um, which was bigger than the company I was with. And so he, I received an email from him the very next day after I made that decision to go into full-time ministry. And he sent me an email saying, Vikram, I really enjoyed working together with you. And uh, he said, do you know about this project, this other company I'm working for now is doing? And I said, oh, you betcha, you, you know, cause I- I've seen it all over the news. It was a massive project they were undertaking. And he said, I want you to come and work with me at that place. And he said, you're gonna see a salary rise by $20,000 if you come there. And I said, wow, are you for real? I just graduated and now you're offering me $20,000 more. I said, I'm in, you know, where do I need to sign up? And uh, forgetting all about my promise to God. And so I was in this real battle zone because God was pulling me in one direction. And then the world was pulling me in another direction, career prospects. And so I remember bargaining with God. I said, God, if I earn $20,000 more, I could give more in my tithe to you. You know, I could support the church more. And I felt like God was saying, uh-uh, I don't need your money. You know, I felt like God was saying, I've got all the money that I need to make things run. What I need is you. I need you to be serving me full time. And so, you know, God God let me in a decision-making point. And seven days later, I, I, you know, put that as a sign before God. And uh, within Melbourne, a large evangelistic campaign was taking place with Mark Finley and his wife. And his wife was running training sessions for people who were interested in Bible work. And so my Bible teacher said, hey, Vikram, haven't you expressed an interest in doing Bible studies, uh, giving other people Bible studies? I said, yeah. And he said, why didn't you come for this training? And so I would go for the interviews for this new job prospect I was looking at with our competitor during the day. And then in the evening, I used to rush for the training that. Uh, Mark Finley's wife, Ernestine Finley, was running for anyone who was interested in being a Bible worker in Melbourne. And so I didn't even have time for dinner. I'd rush from the interview straight for the training. And this was running for one week. I thought I would only go for the interview once, but the interview ended up taking place for one week. So the training for Bible workers took place for one week as well. And now I was getting very confused because I really, really wanted to take the new job. And on the other hand, I felt like God was leading me into ministry and I just didn't know what to do. So on the very last night of the training for Bible workers, I remember an old friend of mine, he was a retired pastor. He happened to be there and he came for the very final night. I said, oh, so good to see you. He says, so good to see you too, Vikram. He was a really nice man. And I just said, hey, um, I'm really torn between these two decisions to make. I said, how do I know? How does a person know if they're called to serve God in ministry? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, well, Vikram, as a church, we encourage people to take up different interests. Could be photography, could be nursing, whatever, law, accounting. He says, we encourage you to do all that. But he says, if you take up an interest, but you find your eyes turning back to serving God in the church full time, and there's nothing else you can imagine doing, or you take another interest up for your career, but you find your eyes turning back to serving God, you know, only in the church, and there's nothing else that will give you more desire than doing that, He says, then you know, you've been called. And then he said, does that make sense to you? And I said, yes, it makes perfect sense. Because that morning I was speaking to my brother and I told him that, you know what? It doesn't matter what I do. My eyes keep turning back to serving God in the church. And he used those very same words that evening. And so when he asked me, does that make sense to you? I said, it makes perfect sense. And that's when I knew God had called me to full-time ministry And so the very next day, I had to break the news, you know, to my ex-colleague and um, share with him that I wouldn't be taking up the job offer. And so he's trying to convince me when I I called him, you know, when I was walking up the steps to my workplace, and I remember I was in the stairwell, and I gave him the call just before I started work for the day, and his name was Adrian. I said, hey, Adrian, um, you know, thank you so much for believing in me to take up this job, but I've got some news for you. I don't think I can take up this job. And he said, "Why, Vikram?" And he started giving me all the reasons why I should go ahead with it. And I said, "Adrian, I just can't." And he said, "Why? Well, what what happened?" I said, "I know this is going to sound really crazy, but I think I'm going to go become a pastor. I didn't even know what a pastor meant at that time." And he was just he didn't know what to say. And then he said, "Well, Vikram, that's really good." He says, "I guess someone has to go save the world," and you know. I didn't want to tell him in the phone conversation, but after we hung up the phone, I realized it's not me who's going to save the world. Someone has already done it, and that's Jesus Christ. I'm just there to share with people about what Christ has done. And so several months later went past, and the evangelistic campaign was starting with Mark Finley here in Melbourne and uh, I signed up just in time to be one of the Bible workers there. It was an unforgettable experience. We saw God move in a very powerful way, and that started my, catapulted my journey into ministry, and so now, you know, about 12, 13 years later, um, yeah, I'm pastoring, and I've never looked back. I can't imagine doing anything else. I I love investing in people's lives and seeing their lives transformed for eternity. It's the best thing I could be doing.
1: Praise the Lord, and the advice, I mean, you have shared so much, but when I think about the advice that senior pastor, you said retired pastor, gave, it is really poignant because it's a very important way to look at it. Because as we think about doing anything else, we find ourselves going back, we don't want to do anything else, then we know God is calling us. Which brings me to, I would say, the questions in the minds of onlookers, because there are times that I hear people talk about, you know, being brainwashed. Uh, Have you ever heard maybe some of, let's say the naysayers when you decided, okay, I'm going into ministry full-time using a term like that about you? And if so, what would you say to individuals who tend to think when people decide to go full-time into ministry that they are being brainwashed?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, definitely the first people who may or may not have used those specific words were probably my parents, you know, because they had invested in my education. It's not cheap to study here in Australia. And I was very, very thankful for that. Um, and now after looking for a job for one year and finally getting my dream job with all these opportunities that were opening up, they thought I'd gone bananas. You know, they thought I would totally lost my mind. And, uh, you know, they probably used the word brainwashed. And I remember my dad, when he when he heard that I was trying to go to church, you know, he was saying that, okay, you know, Vikram, my dad and my mom, obviously by this time they were divorced, but they were still very much on the same page. You know, they're almost like reading each other's minds. But I remember my dad and mom saying in separate conversations with me. Said, "Oh, you know, Vikram, and they saw I was starting to go to church. You know, Vikram, we don't mind. You know, if you go to church, you know, just make sure you don't get baptized." Well, I started going to church, and I got baptized. And then after I got baptized, they said, "Okay, you know, Vikram, all right. You know, you've made that decision to be baptized. We don't fully understand why." Said, "Okay, now that you've been baptized, just make sure you don't go and become a pastor." Well, that's exactly what it ended up doing. You know, so they were just. They could not believe believe what was going on. They thought they were losing their son. They thought I would never, ever come back to them, you know, which was obviously a mistake. I mean, if anything, you know, I learned to love my parents and respect them a lot more. But yeah, definitely they, they thought, you know, I was being brainwashed. It, it's very hard to convince your parents. You can't, you know, maybe everyone's situation is different, but I knew I couldn't with my parents because they were very focused on, on career. And, you know, like uh, most maybe Indian families, I guess, culturally, you know, it's a, it's a high expectation. It's uh, when your son is doing well, it's, it's a proud moment for the whole family. And so to give it up for earning a much lower salary, you know, for giving Bible studies to others, they're like, what is this? This is a total waste of your time. And even till now, my dad says, so what do you do during the day? And I can't even give him a direct answer because if I tell him, well, dad, you know what, we've been running an evangelistic campaign and, you know, dad, I've been giving Bible studies to people and people got baptized, he'll think I've just lost my mind. You know, he he always still hopes, even 10, 12 years later, that I'm still going to give up being a pastor and go back to my former job. You know, he still, still has that prayer. I don't know if it's a prayer. I don't know which God he's praying to, but... <laughs> You know, I guess he's still hoping that I'll go back to my former job. So yeah, they definitely thought I was brainwashed. But you can always change other people's perspective. But what I did know for sure is that God is too good to make a mistake. If he has called me or anyone else who's listening today into full-time ministry, whatever that looks like, you know, for that individual, I know that when we are faithful to God, and I knew this right from the outset, if I choose to be faithful to God, to fulfill the calling he has for my life in this very present moment, I don't need to worry about my family and what they're thinking. Because if I, if I'm in the place where God wants me to be, do I not believe that he's also going to look after my parents as well, and especially their salvation. And so it took a few years and I went through a lot of challenges with my family, stuff I haven't shared at the moment, but, um, it took a few years, but my, I remember my mom telling me first up, and my mom was adamantly against, like very, very op- opposed to my decision. But a few years went past, and my family went through different crises while I seemed to have been spared. And uh, not only that, she could see how God was blessing my life. And she said, you know about Vikram? She said, I'm really, really proud of the decision you made. And I said, what? And she said, Yeah. Because she said, I can really see that God's hand is on your life. She did not use those exact words, but that's essentially what she said. And I was so moved. And about a year or two later, after I got married, my wife, God used my wife to lead my mom to accepting Jesus as a personal savior. And uh, my mom, who was so opposed to it, and uh, for many, many years, she had been very negative because of the very difficult divorce case between her and my dad. She'd become a very um, negative person about everything in life. And uh, I almost found it very hard to speak to her on the phone sometimes because all those negative things would just keep coming up over and over again. Um, But, you know, that night when she accepted Jesus as her personal savior, to be honest, I've never heard her say a negative thing since then. God just took that away. You know, all that hurt, all that pain. It's almost like God works in different lives, different ways, but I'm so thankful he just changed my mom miraculously that night. And she doesn't understand all the things that we might know about the Bible. You know, she's never had Bible studies and her health has unfortunately been very, very poor so that she cannot go to any church. She's basically at home, unfortunately. But just recently, she was saying that you know, Vikram, I want you to come and baptize me before I pass away. And uh, I'm saying this, that she does not understand everything that we know, but what I do know is that she will be in heaven. And so I just want to give anyone who's listening today the assurance that when we are faithful to God, we don't need to convince everybody around us before we feel that now is the time to move forward and go into ministry. Not at all. If God has called you now, Now's the time to step forward, even when it seems inconvenient, even when it seems like all hell is about to break loose on you, that's when you really should be doing it. Because when you move forward, that's when your faith is really tested to the max. And that's when you're really going to see God work in a miraculous way. But if we wait for everything to be prepared and lined up, that time will never come. And I still have friends today, back in those days when I was considering full-time ministry, they were as well but they never ended up going into full-time ministry because they knew that their spouse or so they knew that their family member would not approve of it. Um, they're still faithful in church, but you know, I really believe that they could have been serving at a totally different capacity if they simply let God take the lead in their life.
1: Powerful stuff, powerful stuff. And as you spoke about your mom, you know, St. John chapter 8, 36, and I know you know the text, but just for those who may not know, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. So God does work tremendous, awesome, inexplicable miracles. Of course, they all are inexplicable (laughs) miracles in our lives. And that is just one of the countless ones that you have shared. I want to give you a chance to speak a little about the podcast you currently produce, Lead Your Life Podcast. The title sounds engaging, and so could you share with us, you know, a little, what is it like? How frequently do you produce, and maybe a little about the target audience or anything like that?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, Marlon. Thank you for bringing that up. So, about a year ago, um, I started a podcast called Lead Your Life, and that's available in all podcast f- platforms like Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify. Um, so, yeah, I would love. Uh, for any listener today to jump on and uh, listen to some of those podcasts. I interview people. I'm personally interested in their own lives and in the stories they have to share and what we can learn from them. Um, So we've had some really amazing people join us on this podcast. Uh, What inspired me to start this podcast, which I call Lead Your Life, is because there's so much I've learned through being part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church um, that I really felt that I could not keep this to myself I really felt that there's so many other people who could be blessed uh, by this knowledge that I had received by virtue of being part of the church um, over many, many years. And I'm not just talking about spiritual knowledge, uh, which is also my passion. I wanted it to be evangelistically focused so that anyone who is not well versed with the teachings of the church Um, could also find enjoyment and find that, you know what, I listened to this podcast, it's personally blessed my life, it's helped to improve my life, it's helped me to make better decisions about my life, and it's been very, very practical. And so I wanted to start the podcast in a way, now the reason why I've called it Lead Your Life is because it's exactly that. I want people to know how they can actually take charge of their life and live it to the full potential that God has called them to. And so some of the topics we've covered is how to manage your time from the perspective of how God sees it. And so it's a very practical podcast that I did as a solo, but many of them are interviews. Uh, I talked with uh, John Bradshaw on one of them, which was very fascinating. He's the speaker director of It Is Written, and uh, he was doing an evangelistic campaign here in Melbourne City a few years ago. So we had a fascinating topic uh, which I called uh, gifted for greatness and uh, oftentimes we might see people through the lens of a camera and we envision them to be a certain person but we don't often get the background story to that person's journey of how they have ended up in the position that they are in right now and he's obviously seen in mostly nearly every country in the world you know whoever watches it is written so he's a very well-known figure Uh, But I wanted to get, strip it back down and uh, to really find out who he's, who he really is, what he really believes in, what are his core values. And uh, it's a fascinating interview that we did together. Um, Recently, I interviewed uh, an amazing girl. Um, She's a three-time Emmy Award winner. Her name is uh, Melody George and uh, mainly for feature documentaries. And uh, she's uh, about to release a movie, hopefully next year. It's called Your Love is Strong. And it, uh, it's a movie that uh, focuses on four different characters, uh, different demographics, uh, and uh, talks, about, talks openly about uh, why saving sex for marriage is so vital from a scientific perspective, but also from a biblical perspective as well. And that was a very, very powerful interview we did together. Um, and yeah, so we just uh, look at all sorts of topics, uh, anything that will help someone to really take charge of their life and live it to the full potential God has called them to do. So I'm very passionate about this for myself personally, but also I know that other people will be passionate about doing the same for their life. So that's a little bit about the podcast. And we've done 13 episodes now and uh, hope to continue, uh, keep it running uh, month by month. So I usually release it in the last week of every month, a new episode.
1: Wonderful. And I know, of course, based on what you have said, persons can just type in lead your life podcast, but is there a particular website they can actually go to and just access everything?
0: Yes. Uh, So uh, if you're searching for the podcast, uh, I noticed that there's other people out there as well who've called their podcast lead your life. So if you don't want to get mixed up, uh, there's a photograph of myself on the front cover, but Given this is audio, you probably don't know (laughs) what I look like, but it's called Lead Your Life with Vikram Panchal, my full name. So that will definitely come up if you put it on the search feature. But if you also look on the website, uh, you will find past episodes there. And uh, it's www.anchor.fm forward slash lead your life. Yes. So also if you're interested in hearing past sermons I've done, from some time ago. You can also see that on www.faithfm.com.au forward slash program, forward slash Vikram hyphen Panchal, my last name, hyphen sermons. And so you could listen to any past uh, messages I've shared. And uh, yes, uh, I've shared a lot more messages since then. They just haven't been uploaded yet, but we'll probably get to that some point of time. But um the podcast is definitely the best place to start and um, i hope you'll be blessed if you listen please feel free to share your feedback with me anytime i'd love to hear your feedback and learn how to improve it even further
1: awesome and as you spoke about this lead your life we know when we are being led sometimes we obediently follow sometimes there is some resistance and of course you did highlight some of of the struggles you've had but have you ever been given an assignment that you thought was just too much for you? And you said, God, you know, maybe this one is not for me.
0: Uh, There's a couple I can think of, and uh, I don't know which one to share. Actually, let me share one, what happened within our church plant. I shared about challenges in the past, but you know, it's, uh, it's been definitely a difficult journey, especially in the times when we started, but um, initially when we started the church plant, uh, my wife and I were very green in this whole area, but all we knew is that God was calling us to do this. It was a very, very difficult, uh, situation to navigate through. It came down to a point where I was really in tears and I just got down on my knees and, you know, and I was really questioning God. I said, God, have you really called us to plant a church here? Or have I just made a terrible mistake? Um, because uh, my wife and I were just uh, going through a very, very tough situation. I can't really share the, the details um, uh, on this podcast because it's a public uh, forum. But, but now, looking back, um, our church continued to thrive and continue to grow. And like I said, we've had multiple baptisms over that time, primarily during COVID um, when a lot of people were struggling. You know, God was continuing to grow the church. God was continuing to send us people who are interested in Bible studies. That all gave us concrete evidence that God was behind this project. And it was also an encouragement that we personally needed, you know, to show us and remind us that God was behind this. And he's worked so many miracles along the way. Many of them I haven't had time to share with you today. Uh, But all the way, God was just giving us his tender affirmation. He said, Vikram, don't give up. I've got a plan for this church and I've got a plan for you as well. And all I can say is that today we have an amazing team. God has blessed us with some amazing godly people who are ready to spearhead this church to the point where now just three years later, you know, I can say that looking ahead uh, as a vision, I'm already casting that vision to our young church that I can imagine within a year from now, if we're not ready to plant a second church. You know, so we want to be courageous and bold, and we just need to be faithful. We just need to be focused on what God has called us to do and let him take care of everything. Because when I chose to focus on the church plant, all those problems that we were being surrounded with and being ambushed by, God somehow just miraculously just swept everything away within a few months. And it's just been an amazing journey. And people even look back and they said, wow, when you started... There's hardly anyone. I said, yes. And they said, wow, God is, God is real. And it's not just for me to see it. Whoever comes to our church can see it now with their own eyes. They say, God is real. God is very, very real. And so it uh, just gives us the encouragement to move forward and to believe and trust that God's hand is behind this project. And so we hold it very dearly, very closely to our hearts, just because we know that God has a plan for this church to lead many more people to come to know him.
1: Indeed, God is real. And there's a song I had um, my senior choir singing and the lyrics echo the very same thing. My God is real, for I can feel him deep in my soul. I must say thanks for sharing with us your story of faith. My guest today has been pastor of the Bundura Seventh-day Adventist Church and host of Lead Your Life podcast, Pastor Vikram Panchal. But just before you go, Pastor, as is customary, do you have any parting words to share with our listeners?
0: Yeah, definitely, Marlon. Um, I do have uh, some closing words I want to share with you. And whatever background you're coming from, whichever country, and I'm, I'm just getting excited to know that there could be people from so many different cultures listening to this uh, interview uh, that Marlon and myself have been doing. But firstly, I really hope you've been inspired Uh, to continue to serve God faithfully because it's not always easy to do that. And secondly, I want you to know that when you put God first in your life, even as hard as it may seem, God somehow miraculously always has a way of taking care of all those things that at that point of time seemed unimaginable to us. And so I just want to encourage you today to still be faithful to God, to press on and fight the good fight of faith, because we know that at the end of the day, it's all going to be worth it. And so I really hope that today's uh, testimony um, that God has given to me has been an encouragement for you, whatever journey and whatever pathway you might be in at the present moment that this podcast finds you. But uh, I really hope that you are blessed and you continue to stay faithful to God.
1: Stay faithful to God. You've been in tuned to Upward way. Do join us again next week when we'll have another interesting guest sharing his or her story of faith. Subscribe to weekly episodes on the Apple, AWR, Loud Voice, Spotify, Stitcher, or Podcast Guru apps. You're also welcome to visit Upward Way Facebook page, click like, and leave a comment. Until then, I am Marlon Walter saying goodbye. May God bless you. You've
0: been listening to the
1: Upward Way Podcast. The number one audio production show
0: for people who want encouragement and reassurance in a muddled world.